wonderful psalm. It's a psalm worth committing to memory for multiple reasons, but we're going to focus in on just one this morning. One of the reasons that Psalm 103 is so important, so powerful, so wonderful, is that it seeks to redress the balance. It seeks to shine a light into a dark and murky corner of our society and our thinking. It seeks to correct a lie that so many people have bought into. What is the lie? The lie is this, that somehow life with Jesus equals less. I'm sure you've heard it, maybe you've felt it, perhaps you've even repeated it, that Christianity, that God, that even meek and mild and gentle Jesus, in truth are restrictive or destructive or oppressive. The lie is that buying into religion or whatever you want to package it up at is somehow preventing you from being the real you or from being the you you could be. The lie is that God, faith and trust in him, stands in the way of us achieving what we might achieve or fulfilling what we might fulfill. You must have heard it said spun out somehow that knowing God through Jesus is to lose our lives in one way or another. That's a lie. It is utterly a lie and sadly even Christians have bought into it. The way we speak, the way we act, the way we look sometimes uh, can communicate the idea that knowing Jesus, being known by him, is all about cost and no reward. That's why Psalm 103 is so important, because from the word go, bam, it will not let us sit comfortably in that lie. It will not let us sit comfortably with the idea that life with Jesus equals loss. It screams at us that reality, the truth, couldn't be further from that point. Praising God isn't something that you're going to do, especially deep in yourself. If you've come to be convinced by the notion that he's a power-hungry tyrant, whose own comfort and fulfilment comes at the cost of those beneath him on the food chain, but that's where Psalm 103 begins, praising God, praising God deep down, praising God deep down because we will not forget his benefits. If you like, Psalm 103 begins with this invitation to bring to mind all the things that are gain from knowing God. Praise the Lord, my soul, forget not his benefits, forget not the one who forgives sins. Forget not the one who heals diseases. Forget not the one who redeems our life from the pit. Forget not the one who crowns us with love and compassion. Forget not the one who satisfies our desires with good things. Forget not the one who renews our youth. Praise the Lord, all oh my soul, in my deepest self. Forget not even one of his benefits. Do you see how it readdresses the balance? 
how it speaks truth into that lie that somehow coming to God is, is lost to us. The notion, the idea of living under God's rule, that somehow that, that is putting us in a worse position. When we come and we read words like that from Psalm 103, we see the absolute absurdity in those sorts of claims. And it's the same sense that we get when we turn to the Gospels, when we turn to the stories of Jesus and the promises that he made. When we listen to the words that come from his own lips, come to me, all who are thirsty, and I will give you streams of living water. Come to me, all who are hungry, and you will be satisfied. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, and you will receive life. See, these don't sound like loss to me. They sound like gains. They sound like benefit. They sound like life. The truth that we need to bring to mind is that with God, we have so much more than we have without him. Now, let me ask a question. Why? Why does God give so much? Why does Jesus promise so much? Is it because we're deserving people entitled to these things? I think that idea really struggles to stand up to scrutiny. Is it because somehow God is obliged that there's some sort of requirement that he give us these things? It's an odd notion of God if that's where you want to stay. Nor the surprising truth of Psalm 103, the surprising truth of the Bible really is that that is the sort of God he is. A God who in himself, in his nature, desires to give. You see, the lie would have us believe that God is some oppressive, uh, dictatorial nasty who, who enjoys taking from us. But the glorious truth we'll see is that he's a God who delights in giving and that is why he gives so much and so freely. He's a God who, who knows and cares about what's right and what's just. He's a God who cares about us knowing that. He's a God who loves compassion and grace and kindness on purpose. He's not a God who's about holding a grudge, but he is a God who's about long-lasting love. He's not even a God who's about getting even. He's a God who's all about washing us clean. So the answer to the question of why does God give so much? Why does Jesus promise so much? It's simply that he's a God who delights to do that. A God who chooses freely to do that. A God who in his nature is the sort who would be disposed to do that especially when he looks on us and sees us for who we truly are. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field, and the wind blows over it, 
and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. You see, that's why knowing God is gain. Because God knows how fragile and how frail we are. God knows what we're really like. God knows our lowly estate and he delights to make us more than that. He knows our lowly estate and he delights to make us more than that. I just love this picture of compassion that's been painted in Psalm 103. We have a God who is mighty. We have a God who is powerful. We have a God who has authority and status and he looks down and he acts for the benefit of the lowly. He looks down on us frail and fragile and broken and he acts for our benefit. When you wrap your head around that, when you see that Jesus did not come for the healthy but he came for the sick, Well, then all of a sudden, the invitation at the start of Psalm 103 to praise the Lord, to praise the Lord with our deepest down, forgetting not all of his benefits, then it starts to make sense. Don't believe the lie. When it comes to Jesus, we are more blessed than we can even measure. I hope you can see that. I hope you can celebrate that. I hope you can enjoy that this morning. But it doesn't end there. If you like, that's just the start of the truth we need to be confronted with as we gather together today. Our benefiting from God's graciousness, our benefiting from God's compassion as he looks down on us, is just step one in a two-step plan. And step two is hinted at in Psalm 103, specifically in verses 6 and 7. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed, and we are beneficiaries of that. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Now then, we're really cooking with gas, aren't we? Because welcome to the whole story of the Bible and what God is up to. For those of you who have been in church for a number of years, you'll know that what's being hinted at here is the story of the Exodus. But perhaps there are guests with us today, so let me just recap you. The story of the Exodus is the story of a nation, a people who are downtrodden, who are enslaved, that's Israel in Egypt, and who are crying out to God for rescue. It's a story of these people who are more fragile and more lowly than you can imagine, crying out to God and God listening, God providing, God showing love and kindness and compassion and rescuing them, lifting them up, adding, gaining their lives. The story of the Exodus is of compassion received, but it doesn't stop there. What's truly wonderful about the Exodus story is the people, the recipients of that specific compassion, got to meet, got to know the one who was their benefactor. They got to know who it was who was showing them compassion. But it still didn't end there. You see, the full story of the Exodus is that they received compassion, they got to 
to know personally the one who was compassionate, but they were expected themselves then to go and show compassion. We call it the law. The, um, the books which teach us rules and regulations for how they should treat one another and treat strangers who come into their new land. If you like, it's the story of a flow of compassion that begins with God, passes on to others, and then is expected to keep making its way down the line to more and more people, that this benefit, that this gain could be known more broadly and more widely. And that really is the call, I think, of Psalm 103 to us this morning, the dual call. Number one, to recognise, to enjoy the fact that in God we are blessed, blessed in ways that are too numerous to count but are still worth mentioning. And secondly, that we are called not just to receive that compassion but to show that compassion to others also. So Psalm 103 is a wake-up call to us, that we can be beneficiaries, that that lie, that narrative, that story that's out there in the world, that trusting in Jesus is somehow lost, is nonsense. It wakes us up to the truth that coming to God in Christ is for our good, is for our gain. But when we've had time to let that settle, when we've had time to let that be something that we enjoy and bubbles up within us as praise, the psalm invites us to move further on and further into that truth. To see how we've not just been beneficiaries, but we, like God, can become benefactors. We can be people who introduce gain into the lives of others around us. One of my favourite moments as a father, proudest moments as a father, was a couple of years ago in the fire half, the summer fair that was organised by the PTA. It's the sort of occasion where all the kids are let loose in a field with a couple of pounds and they get to play games, they get to have competitions, to enjoy various experiences, maybe buy an item or two from a jumble sale and that's it. Money raised, we all go home. Well, my son was going uh, with his two mates so I gave him a couple of quid from my pocket and I imagined that the parents of the other kids did the same. And what I watched them do was just, it, it genuinely was a proud moment. As they moved from one stall to the other, they didn't just count what they had as being something to spend on themselves, but they delighted to involve their friends in it too. They delighted at each new stall, each new table, each new experience and game and challenge that they were confronted with. They delighted to use what they had to benefit the whole group until one was run out of money. Then the next would step forward and say, I've got what is needed for us to go and do this until that money was run out. And the next one stepped forward and said, I've got what is necessary for us to benefit and to enjoy this fire half to its fullest. Now, it's a silly example, I know, but it's an example nonetheless. They, they had compassion, or, or, or they were this point, they could have been this dam, this termination point of having received from parents a kind and generous gift so that their lives could be enriched. They could have been this dam where that is where the blessing, the benefit would stop. But they decided, they desired to, to let that flow. 
to, to pull the, the gate up so that the waters could flow through. To, to share that blessing, to share that benefit and that gain with their friends. And really that is what we're called to as Christians. That is what we're called to as beneficiaries of God's grace. And AAC, we speak about knowing Jesus more and we speak about that, not just in the sense of filling our minds with knowledge, like, like a book getting thicker, like an encyclopedia having its pages filled in, but knowing Jesus more. Knowing Jesus more in a, in a personal and a relational sense, in a transformational sense, so that we become people who are more and more like him. So when we reflect on the sort of God he is, the sort of God who looks at us in our lowly estate and desires to bless, the sort of God who gives so that we can be lifted up, the sort of God who encourages us, not to simply receive grace, but to extend grace, not just to receive compassion, but to extend compassion. Well, then the challenge for us truly is to imitate Christ, to be more like Christ in this way, isn't it? For a number of years now, as a church, we partnered with another organisation called Compassion that's all about releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And it's been a joy over the decade or so that we partnered with that organisation to see uh, the faces, to learn the names and the situations of children, the lowest in our society, from countries around the world that are the poorest in our globe, and, and to see and to learn about their situations being changed by us for the better. The folks over at Compassion have been very kind once again and they've crunched the numbers and they've um, decided to share these stats with us so that we can see already the sort of impact we, beneficiaries of God's grace and kindness and love and compassion, have had when we have shown that to those who are in need around us. They tell us that at the moment there are 28 children being supported around the world through our church family. Um, that number has been higher in the past, I think, as a couple of sponsor children have aged and kind of grown up and out of the system. It's my prayer that that number will continue to increase every year, every time we come back on Compassion Sunday and think about the chance, the opportunity that we have to show love, to show compassion, to sow net gain into the lives of those who are most vulnerable in our world. 28 children spread across 13 different countries, most noticeably Tanzania. Now the reason for that is simple. We had a discussion with Compassion and we wanted, um, as we move forward, to have a concentrated effort, a concentrated impact from our church family to one country, one nation, where we could see the difference that we were making. And that difference is more than just money going to a charity. It's about a relationship being built. This is probably my favourite slide of all that they shared with us this week. That really does shine a light on the difference that we make as a church family through the gifts that we make. Because of our compassion in sponsoring these children, there are 28 children who have been in school when otherwise they wouldn't have been in school. 
that these children have been in church when otherwise they wouldn't have been in church. They've been valued and loved when otherwise they would not have been valued and loved. They've been fed, they've been cared for, they've been clothed when otherwise they would not have been. And as far as I can tell, that is all gain. That is all benefit. One of the things that I've loved imagining this week is what future impact will come from these darling children. These precious little ones whose lives have been touched in a small way, maybe by our measures, but, but in big ways. These, these dear children whose lives have been touched when we have refused to be the termination point for God's grace and God's kindness. When we have opened up our lives and our finances and our attentions and efforts to help them. I wonder what future impact will come when they likewise, when they likewise look around them and see the fragility, the frailty, the vulnerability of those in their communities and their societies and they decide, like us, like Jesus, to be a people who desire to give. We're going to watch a very short video now that's from the perspective of people who have graduated through the Compassion Programme. And for me, it's been an encouraging video to watch this week as it, it, it highlights or it poses the questions of what might be through the help that we are able to give partnering with Compassion. Enjoy. had a great impact on me on my development because every time I go to school every time I do something I always think of them and I always make them proud yes I always want to make my parents proud too but there's another set of parents that I consider that I don't want to disappoint them I see my sponsors Betty and Boyd as as my family because uh, that's how they treated me. They treated me as one of their sons. The first person that helped me believe that I could be a leader was my sponsor, who wrote me that letter and told me that they believed in me. And I thought to myself, if they believed in me and I was going to become somebody, it's true. I can actually become that somebody. They always encourage me just to be a good student, a good daughter, and just to keep learning as much as I could because even though in my thoughts that maybe I would not be able to do much because I didn't have the resources, but they always put those words in my heart that I will have just a trust in God that He will He will He will open doors for me. I am what I am today because of a stranger willing to invest in my life and show me the, the love of Christ and pray for me and encourage me each step of the way.
we have made a difference already. As a church family, there's no question, there's no doubt about that. We have made a difference in these lives. But I wonder, can we make more of a difference? If you want to add to the blessing, to the benefit, to the gain that's being felt through just a, a simple monthly sponsorship, then please consider sponsoring from today onwards. On a normal Compassion Sunday, we'd have beautiful coloured packs made up with pictures of the children and their names and information about where they lived and so on and so forth. But alas, COVID. And so here we are online. And I'm asking you if perhaps you could consider between now and your sitting down for a hearty lunch around a, a big dining table, if you would consider starting to sponsor a child. It's as easy as typing in the word sponsor space AEC, exactly as it appears on the screen there, texting that to triple eight or two and starting the process of sponsoring a child today. It genuinely is hard to think of something else more worthwhile that you could do before you head off to have your food. Psalm 103. Life with God is gain. We are all beneficiaries of Jesus' grace. And he calls us, he invites us likewise to become benefactors to look for opportunities in the lives of those around us that we could sow in gain. Compassion is one such project. It's not the total answer, but it is an answer. And even today, you could be living more like Jesus simply by how you use your phone and your text messages. I hope you do. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you first and foremost for who you are, for that God who looks at us who, as we truly are and desires to bless, desires to lift up, desires to sow life and gain into our lives. Lord, I thank you for all of your benefits. I thank you for how you forgive us. I thank you for how you heal us, how you redeem us, how you love us, how you satisfy us, how you renew us. Lord, I thank you for how you call us to something more than what we're used to, of how you reveal to us what you're like and you invite us to walk that same path. Lord, I thank you for the work of compassion. We see the impact of our small little church here in one corner of, of tiny little Wales. We see the impact that we have been able to make over the last couple of years. Lord, I thank you for the impact that that organisation has had in its entirety. I pray for each and every one of the children represented um, by sponsorships coming out of Amford Evangelical Church. I thank you for their lives. I thank you for their hope. I thank you for the opportunities that people have had face to face, to love them, to value them, to share you with them as they share food and education and healthcare. Lord God, I pray that they would become people who recognise the blessing as coming from you and would desire to be a blessing to others too. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.